If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 39 through 49. We'll pick up where we left off last week. If you'll stand as I read the scriptures. Luke chapter 6. Actually, I want to pick it up in verse 37 to catch our context. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom, where with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke to them a parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, or, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And the flood arose, and the stream beat vehemently against that house, and it could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth without a fountain against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Oh, Father, open our ears now, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Righteousness from the heart. And see, this is God's concern, that his righteousness dwell within each of our hearts. Self-righteousness is not sufficient for you or for me in order to be accepted before God. As Jesus said, the flesh profits nothing. Self-effort, our standard compared to God's standard, is not sufficient. In The Bible puts... God's righteousness, His righteousness, as a gift. It's not something we can produce within ourselves. It's not something we're capable of coming up with. Righteousness, as we are taught in the Scriptures, is the gift of God. And as you know, you don't earn a gift. A gift is received humbly. And as we've read here, and we understand that this is sort of a condensed version of the Sermon on the Mount that was given in Matthew 5 through 7. And again, just a reminder, as was said in 
uh, beginning of the uh, Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew 5. It's about the one who does and the one who teaches. And so this is why it's so important that we, when we hear sermons, it's, it's important that we put them into practice. Hearing things and not practicing them is uh, not a blessing at all. It leads us in the wrong direction. So uh, as we covered this and spent some time last week talking about the Beatitudes, they're in the Latin word, it's called the blessings. You know, you're really blessed if you really have these attitudes, right? And so what Jesus is doing in this portion of Scripture is declaring and describing God's kingdom. He, he and John the Baptist have declared that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there are those who sort of struggle with that. Well, what do you mean Jesus is king, that God's kingdom is at hand? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, interchangeable terms. Where's it at? Well, it's one of those mysteries, if you will, uh, in the Bible. It's like the kingdom of God is here, but it is also coming. It has been presented to us, and it has come now in a spiritual form that's available to each one who will receive Jesus as Lord. If you receive Jesus as Lord, you can enter into the kingdom. And he is describing to us what the citizens of that kingdom are going to be like, the attitude that those within the kingdom have. At some point in time, the kingdom of God will be here in its fullness and in, in its full power. And that day is yet future. So it is a kingdom that is and yet is not. And yet it is coming. And so as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and develop these attitudes, we're going to live a blessed life. To the degree that we submit ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to grow us and to mature us is to the degree that we will have satisfaction, joy, and peace, and victory in our lives as Christians. What we learn from true righteousness, which God is working in our heart, is that it really is a manifestation of love. And this is what the law was based upon. It was based in love. If you love God, then you're going to do the following. If you love your neighbor, you're going to do the following and not do some of the following. And you know the Ten Commandments. And so this is really a personification of what love is and how it's expressed. True love for God and true love for my neighbor. These are the Beatitudes. Uh, and they're here to show us and lead us in the right direction. You know, you think about Jesus and he... The statement that he says, I do always those things that please the Father. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that about yourself? <laughs> Man, that's, that's an incredible statement. You know, and he, he, he actually even challenged those that were criticizing him. Which of you can convict me of sin? Silence. <laughs> Nobody could say anything about Jesus. Because he perfectly modeled the Beatitudes. If you look at the life of Christ and his ministry, his earthly life and his ministry, he modeled these things perfectly. He imaged the Father. And I think this is what's amazing as you look at the end of his ministry and he's meeting with the disciples there in the upper room and they're having this last meal together. And he's making these incredible statements. And... Uh, 
the disciples bring up these questions that sort of like, are you kidding me? Moments for Jesus. And then we see in John 14, 1, if you pull that up, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, why would he say that? Because their hearts were troubled. There's a couple million people in Jerusalem, and the Pharisees are out to lynch Jesus. They can sense what's going on. They're not blind. They're not stupid men. And they realize that they're in an upper room, and it's like, I hope nobody breaks in and takes Jesus away, because they're really mad at him, and they're threatened by him, and they're, they're out to get him. So they're troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And Verse 2 says, In my father's house there's many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. You see, real quickly here, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. See, the disciples loved Jesus. There's no question about that. They loved Jesus Christ. And they believed that he was Messiah, but they didn't really know God to the level that they needed to know him. And this is the point of Jesus' words. And he goes on, and verse, and verse 8 says, Philip said to him, Lord, well, show us the Father, and we'll be happy, you know. It'll be sufficient. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long, and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I speak not of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So what he did, mighty in word, mighty in deed, was sufficient to prove his identity, is what he is saying. So a lot of us love the Lord. You don't question people's sincerity whether or not they love the Lord. But do, you really, do we really know the Lord and to know his heart? And this is what uh, discipleship is all about, learning and growing in him. So we pick up where we left off uh, last week. Uh, Jesus taught uh, in verse 37 not to judge. He's going to continue to expand upon that, not to condemn but to forgive, and, 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 uh, and he talked, as we read there, about giving. It's important to be a giver, and when you're giving, be generous about it. God is generous. And uh, he's going to move into this, verse 39 here, and talk about three main things, verses 39 through 42. Blindness, instruction, and judging others. Now, these are important perspectives to understand uh, and to obtain and to employ, really, and uh, what we learn from this section is the, the inner reality of our character, or anyone's character, the true state of our being, is revealed by the fruit in our lives. There's, there's no separation. It, we are what 
we live to be uh, and what we live out, and that's a result of what's on the inside. And so, obviously, as disciples of Christ, we want love. We want forgiveness to be the dominating characters of our lives. In fact, that's what Jesus uh, proclaimed to his disciples here. By, by this shall men, by this shall the world know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And so, uh, this blindness here that he's speaking about uh, here, can the blind lead the blind? You know, as you know how that the context of that and was a little more expanded in Matthew's gospel. But um, in other words here, if you're an apprentice, you're not really in a position where you're able to lead. You don't have the life experience. You don't have the, the knowledge uh, to lead others. And, and of course, those living for self-interest are not equipped to lead others either. And that would have uh, been probably the, uh, the Pharisees. Uh, they... They, they, they were not interested in leading the people only to lord over them. Uh, it was, they were bound by self-interest. You know, this is, the, this is the peril of fallen nature. We all want to be seen. Uh, we, you know, deep down we want to be heard and we want to be known. And those are the things that we guard against as Christians. Uh, because we, uh, you know, it's not about what people see about us that matters. It's what God sees. And we have to know that God hears our prayers. And as long as he's hearing us, that should satisfy us. And he knows us, whether the world knows us or not. You know, I think the older you get in the Lord, the more you want to just hide out. <laughs> you don't really, like, it's, you, know, I've, you know, for these guys that want to be front and center, oof, knock yourself out. I mean, you know, that's it. But, you know, and, and of course, the, the implication, or we don't want to miss the obvious, you know, uh, can the line lead the blind, or will they not both fall into the ditch? And so the idea is we need to pay attention who we follow and who we're learning from. You know, I'm really concerned. Well, it's and it's nothing I can do about it. But I'm, I, you know, I think these are the things you kind of keep in your peripheria because I want to keep Jesus front and center always. But there is peripheral things that we need to pay attention to in our. Christian walk, and especially as a pastor and as a shepherd. There has been this movement from, since I've been in the church for 40-some years uh, this, there, uh, of self-appointed apostles and prophets. They don't seem to understand that the foundation's already been laid in the first century. We had apostles, 12, and then Paul, and we have prophets, capital A and capital P in that sense. You don't put the, as it were, the foundation on the 21st story. It's usually at the bottom, at the beginning, right? And so, but we have these self-appointed guys that have, seem to have special revelation uh, uh, and insights concerning the Bible. And especially with what's been going on the last few years here, They've got insights, special insights to the end time scenarios. In fact, if you just read the Bible backwards, you'll be able to see some of these insights and these special revelations that really only the prophets can show, show you and explain to you so that you'll understand. So read the Bible backwards, I see, because there's codes, there's, there's codes in the scriptures and if you're able to decipher, then you're going to have a special revelation from God. I, I'm sorry, I didn't 
have anybody pass out any brown bags for this moment because it's sickening. The self-promotion that, that some of these fellows have. And it's, they pray around the stage uh, with, uh, in their special garb and with their, you know, prophet's stick. I mean, the crazy things that people uh, believe. It's, it's just um, not good. But this comes down to the area of judging because we're in, we're in a time where don't judge me. And we have, there's a balance to this. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 33. How is it then, brethren, that when you come together, that each of you has a psalm, a teaching, and has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Let all things be done for edification. And if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or the most three, and each in turn, let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him who keeps silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. And verse 29 says, Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. And if there's anything revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all be, may, may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches. So these guys who prayed themselves and self-promote do not want to be criticized. In fact, they warn you against criticizing God's prophets, because God doesn't like that, you know. So nobody has a right to speak into the lies. Well, what does this say here? That we're to judge prophecy. Now, if you read the context, your chapter, in, in the beginning of the chapter, verse 2 says, He who speaks in an unknown tongue does what? He speaks not unto men, but unto God. And there's no need to judge that. Who am I, why am I to judge what's going on in your spirit and your relationship with God? Have, that's not my business. That's between you and God. But we are to interpret that so that others can be blessed. Because what you're saying to God is probably pretty cool and really encouraging. But when... It, Prophecy, as it says in verse 3, is not, you know, man speaking to God, but God speaking to man. Thus, it is to be judged. We are to judge. You claiming to be a prophet, then you need to understand that your, what comes out of your mouth is going to be judged. Is it scriptural or is it just your personal preference? So just for the record, because I get a little disturbed by the deception that's going on in the church. And we'll get into a little bit of that a little bit later as we proceed here, um, 43 through 45. So, so this message, this is he's giving to us there in the Sermon on the Mount is about discipleship. It's for those who want to learn, those who want to follow Jesus. And he's the master teacher. And now he's given that responsibility to the Holy Spirit. You have an unction from the Holy One and have no need that anyone teach you. Yes, there's teachers, as we know. There's instructors within the body of Christ. But if you can, and I are spirit-led, we are spirit-taught, the Holy Spirit opens the scriptures to us and he breaks the truth upon our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit to, to help disciple us. And we're not smarter than Jesus, right? That's, we're not greater than our teacher. 
And so he moves on from the area of, of judging and discipleship, or, or from, um, excuse me, <coughs> from, you know, the blindness and, and discipleship and judge, to, to this area of, of, of judging here. And to clarify maybe some of the things that we've mentioned here, uh, the first thing about judging is, first of all, remember that uh, we're all sinners, and we all have clay feet, and you need to keep that in perspective. And we have specks in our lives, um, things that are, uh, need to be removed to help us see better. We have not yet been perfected. And the idea here is, uh, when he's speaking about this speck, uh, he, he uses the word for looking here, blepo. It, it's, it has the ideas that you're, you're, you're doing, gazing, you're, but as you're gazing, as you're looking, you're doing something with your eyes. And in this case, you're scrutinizing. You're, you're looking at other people. And you happen to see this small particle, uh, which could be bad habits or some moral failure or something that irritates you and bothers you, you know. And so... Uh, what he's saying is you have to be careful uh, that that small speck um, of being critical of the non-essential things uh, can get you into trouble. And they, and they can, you know, these small little things can cause great pain in relationships. And maybe there is something uh, that needs to be changed in your brother or your sister. He's not saying that you're not supposed to ever deal with anything but that you're to judge yourself and keep yourself in the context. Maybe that thing that's bothering you is as a mirror, and it's really something that you're trying to deal with in your own life. And so there can be a lot there. The idea about the specks, are they, are, they are as in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, you can pull that up, verse 15. Uh, they're the little foxes. Catch those little foxes. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines. It's the vines have the tender grapes. So the, these small specks can steal away, as it were, what is good in our lives. So we do have to allow God to, to deal with the specks and not allow them to turn into planks. One of the things um, that you, as you think about this and consider it, there's a good chance that the speck and the plank are the same size. It's a matter of perspective. If you put a pencil longwise, you know, just so you're looking at the eraser end, you know, you're just seeing as a quarter inch in diameter type thing, and you hold it out here, it's the speck. But if you bring it really close to your eye without poking yourself, it's a plank. So the plank and the speck, it's a perspective. And God is wanting to deal with my perspective, not to be harsh on people. You know, the phrase I have, and we have, well, we're family. I mean, siblings get into you know, arguments. They don't see things. That, you know, the same thing happens in the body of Christ. We have to learn how to deal with those things. And when someone has one of those things that bothers you, just say in your heart, God knows how to bring many sons and glory, daughters to glory. I don't, but he does, and so God take care of that. And maybe that'll help you. It's helped me over the years, and just so just passing that on. Now, uh, self-application comes first. We are to make judgments. And the word judgment here, it means to distinguish and to decide. Um, 
But discrimination on a per, from a personal bias is unfair judgment. It's just your personal bias. Why are you laying your convictions on other people? That's not loving. So, but we are called to analyze. We are called to evaluate the behavior of others without pronouncing judgment. And therein lies the line not to cross. We're more like fruit inspectors, if you will, and not judges. Um, I'm going to give you three passages that sort of, I think, kind of balance this whole thing out. And Paul, one of them is Paul's addressing the immorality within the church. So it involves more than just personal preference or anything like that. It involves the body of Christ. And if you're familiar with what's going on in the church, uh, uh, somebody was having a relationship with his mother's stepmother type thing. What appears anyway, First Corinthians five four, and Paul judged the matter without being there. He he discriminated, he exercised discernment, and was scrutinizing uh, the situation. It says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in that day. That sounds like a pretty harsh judgment and sentence about immorality within the church. Now, because they came together and they confronted this individual, he repented as we read later on. And he and the people were still kind of being hard on the guy. And Paul had to say, hey, look, he repented, he's forgiven, embrace him. You don't want him to be, get wiped out because he was, you know, abusing the grace of God. And so there is this whole balance there in that whole story. Um, when it comes to judging and correction and church discipline, the, the letters to the Corinthians seem to always come that, because that was a church that was carnal. There was, a, there was issues. There was a lot of good going on there. I mean, they were powerful in the gifts. God was moving in that church, but they were young and they were a lot of carnality. And it had to be dealt with. So Paul addressed that issue. Now, in 1 John 4.1, we read, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We just don't take everybody at face value. We, here's, here's the phrase that, that I've learned over the years. One of my pastors shared it with me years ago, and I just it became mine, right? And anything that I say that you that feels good, that it can become yours too. It's just not an isolated thing that they're my truth or your truth. It's for the body of Christ. But he had a way of, of, of seeing people, and I thought it was very wise. He said, I consider all people godly until proven otherwise. I consider all people godly within the body of Christ as godly until proven otherwise. And that's, that's love. Love believes, hopes, all things, right? That's a loving way. Uh, but when someone crosses the line and fruit shows otherwise, well, then we got to deal with it, right? Um, another scripture um, along those, this line to confirm what we're talking about is Philippians 1.9. Pull that one up, yes. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment that you may... Uh, Prove the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
And so the joy book, those people in the Philippians were a happy people. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, you know, re- rejoice in the Lord. Paul just went off there at the end of the epistle, right? Well, they were happy because they were staying in their lane. They didn't go to the left or to the right. They knew what was right and what was wrong, and they stayed in their lane. And that's what discern, discernment does. We are not, uh, we are called to discriminate in a loving way. That's not good. That's, that's not good. So let's not do that <laughs> kind of a thing. So I think you uh, get the idea here. Is there something that's happening in the church or in our lives that's offensive? Is there something that is going on that's destructive? Well, then that needs to be dealt with. It needs to be judged for what it is. Is it a violation of the law of love? You know, what was going on, in, as we've read there in the Corinthian church, was self-indulgence. It was offensive to God, and it was offensive to the, to the congregation. You've got to deal with it. Otherwise, it becomes cancerous, and that leads to disease, and that can really bring greater harm and destruction to people. Now, in verses 43 uh, here, um, this idea about fruit-bearing. This is in the context of chapter 7 in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, uh, about the false prophets. They tell lies, and they're liars. They're greedy for power, gain, and they're self-ruled. They are sheep, and they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, the word beware, what does that mean? It means a continuous state of readiness to learn of any future danger, need or err, and respond appropriately. We have to pay attention. That's what shepherds are for. We watch. We pay attention. I am as my name is in this area, those that you know me. Gregory, it means watch, watcher, watchful. So I pay attention. It just comes naturally for me. And sometimes I have to be careful not to overdo it. Just like maybe you have the same, uh, same issues. We have to trust the Lord's directing us and guiding us, and we're seeing it clearly. But we understand there are false prophets. There are false brothers. Satan loves to plant these kind of people in the body of Christ. And as we grow, just know that it, we're no different than what Jesus said. The wheat and the tares will get mixed together during the church age. So we're going to have people that come to the church that may not be what they pretend to be. And we need discernment. We're going to love people, but we're not going to be naive as to think, oh, well, nobody could possibly be our church, you know. So how do we know? Well, these guys are outwardly outwardly presenting themselves to be something that they're not, and inwardly they're destructive and they're vicious. They want what they want. So there should be no confusion. This is exactly how we deal with this and how we come to know. Uh, Trees bear fruit after their kind. There's no confusion here. There's no like, well, maybe there's an exception. No, there's not. There's no mixture. They always bear the fruit of their own kind. Good trees bear good fruit, and good trees do not bear bad fruit. I love, don't you love absolutes? 
Oh, well, it's all, only if you want it to be, you know. <laughs> bad trees do not bear good fruit. They bear bad fruit. And the same thing with good men. If they're good, they're going to bear good fruit. If they're bad, they're going to bear bad fruit. And so we're fruit inspectors in that sense. Bad fruit here, the idea they're bad is not necessarily rotten, but just not good. Essentially, the best way to phrase that and define bad there. So Jesus tells us that this, what comes out of our life, the fruit, is, tells the truth about the, person, about the person. There's no hiding. There's always an agreement between the fruit and the tree, right? Oh, well, I didn't really mean that. Ooh, really? Because out of the mouth, out of the, you know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if there's something black and dark comes from my heart, it's flesh. It needs to be confessed and forgiven and forsaken. And those who do and live that way receive mercy. So the mouth reveals what's in my heart. Now, in the last few verses here, verses 46 through 49, we see that really empty words mean nothing. You can call Jesus Lord all day long, but if you're not living in obedience to him, you're you're self-deceived, and you don't want to do that. There's three things that Jesus wants us to do to be wise. And if you like making lists, this is a good one. These are the three good things to make a list of. First thing we're supposed to do if we're wise, if he wants us to be wise, he wants all of his children to be wise, come to him. Do you bring everything in your life to Jesus? Or do you you compartmentalize? Well, you know, you can have this room, this room, and this room, but this room is mine. That's not lordship. He gets it all. He's on the throne. He rules. He's very loving, by the way. Come to him. Bring everything to him. Every situation you might find yourself in, bring it to Christ. That's the way it's supposed to be. If you do that, you're wise. Hear him. Listen to him. He is the ultimate teacher and instructor, and he will not lead us astray. He'll always tell us the truth. Number three, obey him. Just do what he says, right? Make him the master of your life. I find that when I have a resistance to the Spirit or find myself getting a little selfish or this or that, all I have to do is just confess that to the Lord. I just need you to put the the brakes on this, Lord, and change me. That's that's just selfish. You know, when I just bring everything to the Lord, no matter what it is, He leads me through it. You know, and we have this ebb and flow of life. Sometimes we are just so in the zone why can't it just stay this way, right? But the nerves, we, we just, because we're falling, we can't stay there. So I just find myself, Lord, bring me into the zone, whatever that is, whatever the, whatever the situation may call for, because zones change. I just bring it to the Lord That's, and do what he says, right? So the idea is follow through on the commitment that you make because commitment and following through and obeying means everything. And he illustrates with these two different type of builders, one wise and one foolish. We all need to be like the wise man. The wise man obeys the Lord. Let's look at quickly here. Thank you for your patience. This is a powerful portion of Scripture here. 
what does it say about this wise man? He dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Oh, don't you just love that? You know, if you're going to be a Christian, if you have that supernatural encounter with God, and you have been born again, you've got to seek God from that point forward. It's important that you do that. You seek God. You know the Lord, if you've, and you love Him, but you need to go deeper with Him. We're exhorted uh, in Jeremiah 29, uh, 11. You know the scriptures, the Lord's love for us, and His thoughts towards us. He said, you will go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I'll be found by you, says the Lord, and I'll bring you back from your captivity. That whole thing of just desiring God and wanting God, digging deep, because you have to lay the foundation of truth in your life. We are born into a lie. This world is a lie. It is an upside-down world compared to God's kingdom. When we meet Him in a supernatural way, we need to lay the foundation of truth in our life. It says, He he laid the foundation on the rock. Now, it's lowercase here, right? But we know who the uppercase rock is, right? It's Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Let each one take heed how he builds on it. Well, there's no other foundation that can anyone lay than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. And now if anyone builds on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. That would be the day of judgment. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. It is through fire. Don't you know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive you. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. They are futile. So the, under, the wise man understands these things and the truth and the balance of it all. And he understands that the floods are going to come. There's going to be storms in life, and he's going to have to face them. But he, he, he also knows that if he's built upon the foundation, that when the floods indeed do come, he knows his house is going to stand. And that's the wonderful thing we have. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Your life and my life is indestructible. I am indestructible in the Lord. He knows the day of my departure. And until that day, as I walk in obedience to Him, I have full confidence. I have nothing to worry about. 
No one's able to snatch me out of his hand. He's greater than all. This is the confidence we have when we build on the rock. And there is no other foundation that could supply that kind of security. You and I, and never forget this, we are blessed and we are protected by Almighty God because we are on the rock. Isn't that awesome? I just love that. Oh, don't you love those old hymns too? We sang a few of them today. And this one I love. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. The foolish man does not obey God, and he suffers the consequences of his decision. He's, in Matthew's gospel, he refers to the man building on the sand and here the earth. The idea is he's built without a foundation. Isaiah 5.21 says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. That's why I took the time to read the extra month there uh, in Corinthians 3. There are those who think they know. They think they're smarter than God. They think they have greater insight than God. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. This is what we're exhorted to do. Colossians 2.6 And you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding with thanksgiving, beware. The word was used before, right? Beware. Lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. We are so steeped in humanism in our culture. How many people do you know closely that when they come to a situation in their life that they think scripturally first? That's a good sign you're building on the right foundation. What does God have to say about this? What does God know about this? All truth comes from here. It doesn't come from out here. It doesn't come from the natural man's heart or here. It's from here, the Word of God. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. 1 Corinthians 3.18. Don't I love that? Corinthians. Georgia, thank you for messing up. <laughs> So much is written because of you guys. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. They are futile. That is the one found in Isaiah there. So this guy failed to consider what was 
potentially coming in the future. The storms of life, because they come, they come. So the floodwaters did come, the storms came, and it beat his house, and it was completely destroyed because he had no foundation. You see, that's why our nation is crumbling. They've undermined the foundations of our nation, and they've taken away the markers. They've moved the boundaries of truth and supplanted it with lies from the enemy. And then we have a culture that is looking for truth. And I think in some ways that's why God is moving us out of this little place here and giving us a little bigger space out in the country because there's going to be a mob come because they want truth. They want what's real. They want what we've been looking for and found in Christ. What I want to say to you, how many of you have the gift of evangelism? How many of you can lead someone to Jesus? How many of you can disciple someone in Christ? In the next few months, by the grace of God, I want to have this church equipped to lead people to Christ and to disciple people in Christ. So, may, so just be praying. Pray that the Lord gives us the materials that will be appropriate for what he's going to do. But we have to prepare ourselves. If we really believe that there's going to be a harvest, right? And there is. I don't care about the numbers. I care about being ready. That's why I'm going to be more direct as I was this morning in preaching the gospel. I want people to be saved. They are, this, we're a messed up. We are really messed up. And we need, people need Jesus. And we have Jesus. So let's give them Jesus. Amen. Amen. We don't want people to suffer because of their negligence, because they didn't know their ignorance. We want them to know, and we want them to respond as wise people. Wise people build upon the wisdom and word of Jesus Christ, and that's what we want to do. question is, are we wise or are we foolish? Right? May God help us. Father, we thank you for your word. And we do ask, Lord, that you would help us prepare. We don't want to sit on the sidelines watching. We want to be on the field, out in the field, in the harvest, reaping, preaching, teaching, and discipling those who come to you, Lord. I'm asking, Father, that great grace would be upon this church, Lord, that you would equip us to preach the gospel, to disciple to do the things that are necessary to magnify your name and to add to your kingdom lord father we just we commit that to you and we commit ourselves to your purpose now to the mission that you've given to the church lord to represent you and to reach the world with the gospel we pray for your anointing to be upon us and your blessing to be upon each of our lives And now, Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the patience of my brothers and sisters here this morning. And I ask, Father, that you would bless each family here. I thank you for all that you've done in their lives. I thank you for uh, this incredible demonstration of their generosity and blessing the church so that we could move forward with your plan and purpose. And we give you the glory and we give you the honor, Lord. We're not surprised but we are blown away. You are amazing, Lord. 
and we give you honor and we give you glory. And I pray your spirit would just rest upon each of us. Put your name on us, Lord. Strengthen us and anoint us for your purposes, Lord. In Jesus' name, shall we stand?